Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Welcome back to Business uh, Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company for the next hour. You have tuned in to the call. Uh, we're on each and every day at this time between midday and 1pm Eastern. And we go through 10 stocks that our viewers suggest. I put them to an expert panel for their adjudication. And we get through a lot. It's incredibly informative. And uh, today, I love this panel um, in a uh, professional sort of way. Um, Henry Jennings from Marcus today and Andrew Whelan from DP Wealth Advisory. Afternoon, chaps. How are you? Koshi, you're thanks, David. Human. How are you? Be human, Koshi. Don't just go with it. Uh, good. Always good to have you, boy. We refer to Whelan as our as our uh, favourite Queenslander, of course, based in Toowoomba and um, uh, living the free life compared with Henry, whose uh, hair is getting even longer in lockdown. And mine, you wouldn't know. So, uh, <laughs> all right, let's get straight into it, fellas. Um, thought I'd—I always choose a stock of the day, and uh, I thought we'd uh, do one which has um, had stellar performer in the recent earnings season, and uh, comes up often here on the call. Aussie Broadband um, out of a trading halt this morning after sewing up. $114 million institutional placement. The company saying the cash will be used in a bit of M&A, technology development, lining up business and uh, new business and on its fibre networks. Aussie also putting a share purchase plan on the table for existing shareholders capped at 10 million. Been a good run for them uh, after listing in October, Aussie Broadband up 140%. So how does it stack up uh, against some of the bigger telcos and um, whether it's a growth story. Uh, Henry, a lot of um, the experts on the call here criticise companies who have to raise capital when their share price is at a low. Uh, Aussie Broadband taking advantage of its uh, run-in share price. Um, how do you see the raise and the stock? Interesting one, isn't it? They've had an almighty run. Good numbers, beats across the board, rolling out their fibre, doing very, very well. Good ads on TV as well with the guy holding the hose. That always helps. Um, and I suspect it's no, uh, no, no real sort of surprise that we've seen the stock price go up as they've increased their marketing. And they come out really well with customer satisfaction. Of course, everyone loves to beat up on Telstra, but Aussie Broadband really is kind of the Aussie that, you know, the little Aussie battler that can. 
I must admit, I'm surprised about the market reaction to this uh, capital raising. It's it's a lot of money. It's opportunistic, and they haven't said really what they're going to spend it on. They've talked about acquisitions. They've talked about some that they've been looking at, but not that far advanced. It's a nice big fat war chest, I have to say. But if I was an institution and I'd just taken stock at four bucks and the stock's trading at 460 and I had a 14% locked in return, I think I'd be looking to uh, unload a bit of that stock. I might, not, might do it quietly, but um, that's that's a good year. That's not, you know, you're going to have to see uh, the stock accelerate a little bit uh, to the upside to make that one worthwhile. If I was taking the stock at four bucks, I'd be tempted to knock it out. I've got to say, I'm a that's my kind of style. And I also believe that frequently in these uh, capital raisings, at some stage, and I don't know when, at some stage in the in the future, the stock will come back to the price that they raise the money at. And when it does. Mm-hmm it does tend to accelerate a little bit because those guys that took the stock at four bucks looked at knocking it out at 460 and locking in the nice little profit, the nice little turn moving on to the next one, will panic a bit if it starts to get that back down to 420, 410, and that could accelerate it back down to four bucks. So I'd love to be able to buy it at four bucks. Uh, lucky shareholders will be able to get it through the SPP at four bucks, but good luck, that'll be heavily oversubscribed if there's 60 cents in it. So. Um, for me at the moment, I think there's a little more downside and it's opportunistic. The market loves this stock, but it's run really hard. Um, and I think it may have run a little bit too hard in the short term. Mm. I tried to buy it for my small cap fund uh, a week or so ago uh, after the results and fiddled and faddled around and um, and really sort of paid up. But um, I think at some stage you'll get the chance to buy it at four bucks in more size than you'll get in the SPP. Yeah, okay. Andrew, it has had a good run. Uh, people give it great reps because it targets that that high user, high end user, doesn't it, on uh, on the internet? And its customer service apparently is is sensational. Yeah, Koshi. Uh, the disclaimer: not that I knew you were going to ask this, but I'm actually a customer of uh, Aussie Broadband, so I can sort of speak to that. And yeah, um, service is first class. Not being paid to say that's just true. The service is excellent. Uh, I was actually uh, offered shares as a customer in the IPO and faffed about and didn't get onto it. And how silly <laughs> am I? So uh, I, I was I could have got in at much lower. Um, just looking at the numbers, the PE is around 53 times forecast earnings per share growth this year is around 63 percent. So remember the old peg ratio where you're trying to buy it uh, with a earnings per uh, sorry a PE ratio lower than the percentage EPS growth. So it ticks that box by quite a bit. So I quite like it. I do agree with Henry, though, that uh, this market has not drawn breath for 220-something days now. So it is absolutely ripe for a pullback. And stocks like this, which have got such a great gain, and it will be one of the first ones that get knocked out. So even though in a valuation sense it makes sense, I would absolutely uh, be looking for that weakness as well. Uh, but it is a quality longer term that you would be absolutely buying on weakness. Yeah, and the management's pretty smart to actually take advantage of the share price at this level, build a bit of a war chest, even though they try and say uh, uh, we've got plans for it, even if they don't, <laughs> to have it in the bank if something comes up is, uh, 
uh, is pretty good advantageous place to be. All right, let's get uh, stuck into the stocks that you want us to take a look at. And um, Andrew, Paul wants a view on Incitec Pivot. Um, they basically blow things up, don't they? And a bit of fertiliser, <laughs> um, uh, chemical business. That's the technical explanation for those playing at home. Uh, yes, they, uh, they're involved in that. They've got a fertiliser uh, side to their business. It's about 62% blowing things up and about 38% uh, fertiliser. Uh, main areas of operation, of course, are both Australia and also the US. We, we spoke about this one a little while ago, Koshi, that profit downgrade back in May really sort of got the market uh, pretty well spooked. And they're now sort of forecasting a better result coming up very soon, uh, coming up in about six weeks' time. And so they have recovered somewhat. When we last looked at them, they were 2.45, and now I think they're up to about $2.74. So they're certainly looking a little bit better. And even though we're seeing some um, pressure on things like coal pricing, we are seeing rising copper, which is uh, obviously hitting them as well. Uh, rising food prices is a positive for them also. So, and as you know, Koshi, one of my favourite measures is, is management and board buying, and both our CEO and chair have been adding to their holdings over the last 12 months. Um, PE looks okay, 18 times versus forecast growth of 27%. But, but I'm just, you know, once bitten, twice shy. I'd like to see what that result is in November before uh, sort of getting too excited. So it is a hold. Okay. All right. Henry? Uh, I've got to say, who doesn't like blowing things up? I mean, it's a fantastic... <laughs> uh, to do. And hasn't technology changed? When I was a kid, we used to try and make fertilizer bombs and blow stuff up in the woods around my home. Now they've just done the first wireless detonation underground in Western Australia, these guys. So um, that's pretty impressive. Um, maybe they're using Aussie broadband for that. But uh, this this one is certainly a hold. It's, um, it's recovered from that sell-off, as Andrew says. There's, um, you know, there's good sort of bounce back in terms of the US and people are blowing up a lot of stuff at the moment. There's, you know, every day there's uh, a lot of mining companies that are reporting their drill results. And uh, of course, we're seeing a lot of um, iron ore production, a lot of coal production still. So I think um, blowing stuff up and food chain business, because this is uh, in the fertilizer business, is, uh, is not a bad place to be. It's trading at a bit of a premium to some of its global peers, but it is trading at a discount to Orica, which of course is the other one in that sector in terms of the uh, the fertilizer business. So um, I, d I don't mind Incitec Pivot. It's not the most exciting stock in the world, despite the, the magnificence of watching uh, Earth explode, but uh, it's certainly a hold at these kind of levels, I have to say. Okay. Um, now, Rishi, um, Henry wants a view on a stock that I don't think's come up here on, on the call before, Renogen. Um, it's into basically uh, helium and natural gas. They've recently announced some uh, helium uh, sales agreements from its Virginia uh, gas project. Um, what do you think of Renogen? Yeah, I've got to say, the lovely thing about doing this show, David, apart from chatting to you and Andrew, of course, 
is that you discover stocks that you hadn't come across. And this is one that I hadn't come across. So this stock is looking at LNG and helium projects in South Africa. So there's a little bit of a rider there to some extent. It is a South African-based stock. They do have this Virginia gas project. And helium is used in a lot of modern industries. I have to say medical industries, MRI machines being the biggest use for it. It is an inert gas and it doesn't actually react with anything, which I guess is why they use it in those sorts of machines, as well as rockets and other electronics. So there's a, there's a big demand for it. And every now and then, it's one of those kind of esoteric gases that we look at and go, oh, um, where do we get helium exposure? And it crops up every now and then. Hydrogen was one that cropped up every now and then, and now is cropping up more and more. So I think this one looks vaguely interesting. They had a big bump on their recent deal. I think it's with Consul, uh, which they say is a household name. I'd never heard of that one either, but it must be a South African thing. But they did bounce up a little bit on that. I think you know that there's a certain amount of volatility and being a South African-based company, then uh, it can be a little bit thin at times. But it does look interesting. It's on my watch list, I must admit. I'm not, I wouldn't be piling in here after the bounce because uh, they do tend to go a little bit quieter after the news. But uh, certainly on my watch list, I think it's probably a hold. It got to $2.70 at one stage, now around $1.90. So it's, it's certainly got potential, and it does tend to sort of burst forth on uh, results and, uh, and these sorts of announcements. So, yes, it's definitely a, it's probably a hold mm. and a buy okay. on weakness. If it dropped back to uh, $1.70 or so, I think I'd be looking at buying it. Mm, interesting. Um, Andrew? Yeah, look, I think it's a hold as well, Koshi. Uh, they recently did a placement at $1.78. So if you sort of use the Aussie broadband rationale, um, any weakness in the overall market, and you'll see them pull back a little bit as well. Uh, the other thing I took away, maybe I misread it, was that they had uh, uh, interest in what they're calling it, a cryo vaccine. So basically like a portable vaccine transportation technology whereby it can hold a certain number of vaccines at pretty low temperatures without an external power supply for between seven and 30 days. There we go. So, uh, you know, that's obviously got the market a little bit excited as well. So, you know, come for the helium, stay for the vaccine transportation. Um, I think it's a hold. It's, it's certainly interesting, but Henry is exactly right, as always, thinly traded uh, is a concern. Uh, it's uh, it's a one for one with the JSE listing. So one JSE Johannesburg Stock Exchange um, share will get you one Aussie RLT share, but uh, there isn't a lot of liquidity there, so it's pretty hard to get set in it. So it is a hold. Okay, all right. Um, Andrew Matthew wants a view on uh, healthier. Uh, Matthew says I'm I'm a shareholder. I've not noticed it being covered before. It now has a market cap of 120 mil. Uh, net profit after tax, 14.7 million of recent results. Interested in the panel's thoughts. Now, I hadn't come across this either, but it seems like in the, um, in the vein of we have insurance broker roll-ups and things like that, this is a, a group that rolls up podiatry and physiotherapy uh, clinics. And they've just recently purchased two more physiotherapy stores under the All Care brand and an optometrist for two and a half million um, in uh, Hobart, North Queensland. Um, 
Is that the same sort of model, a bit like like the dentist roll-ups and the, the insurance broking roll-ups? And the vets and the accountants and, yeah. you know, Lawyers. whatever. So yep. from a broader demographic point of view, there is a big, uh, and we've already seen it, this, as you've called it, the roll-up strategy, whereby you've got, and we'll just pick on vets, you know, you've got a whole lot of vets operating their individual practices they're getting a little bit more mature if i can be so delicate succession planning is difficult for them and they're not marketers they're not accountants they're just great at looking after animals and so green cross comes along with a sports bag full of cash and says hey have i got the opportunity of a lifetime for you and uh, basically goes around and buys all these businesses centralizing all their systems and generally it works okay. Certainly I can think of a few examples where it hasn't, but generally it works okay. The, uh, the person who had the small business has an exit strategy and they generally, the, the acquirer is buying these businesses on much lower multiples. They stick a bit of efficiency in there and then wacky do, they're getting a higher multiple. So it's a bit of a win for everybody. This business, Healthier, listed back in September 2018 with about 104 stores. Um, around uh, podiatry, physio, optical, uh, acquired 31 businesses over the last 12 months, and they've now got around two, well, they've got 200 plus stores. So they're really uh, putting the foot down relating to that acquisition strategy. Again, very thinly traded, Koshi, only about $120,000 a day. So it's about half of what we're seeing in um, RLT. Um, interestingly, though, PE 16 times relative to forecast earnings growth, about 29%. And probably the interesting, most interesting one for me is that the chair is actually the former chair of Green Cross. So, you know, you talk about that roll-up and someone has actually got experience in that. Um, probably the, the danger sign or the amber light would be going out and buying 31 little individual businesses over the last 12 months, certainly a lot of opportunity for indigestion, you know, trying to sort of, because that's really one every two weeks, buying a new business once every two weeks. And if you've got rigorous systems and processes in place, well, that's fine. I'm not suggesting that they don't. But at that rate, if they can't execute well, then there's going to be tears. Yeah. So, yeah, look, I, I like it. I think it's a buy, but it's not without risk. Okay. All right. Henry? What do you think? As Andrew says, some of them work well, others don't, particularly in uh, uh, childcare centres, which we've seen in the past, where they pay too much and don't run them that, that well. It does come down to the execution, does it? Down to the execution. I know that Andrew was talking about Green Cross guy being a positive. I seem to remember Green Cross got themselves into a whole bunch of trouble and had to end up getting taken out. Um, because it hadn't executed as well as it should. So this this one, I've got to say, not for me, too thin, uh, feet and physio, basically. And uh, Andrew's gone through the, the business model. I'm always a bit wary of roll-ups, especially ones that do it so quickly. And, you know, you've got to really execute. It's a culture thing as well. The, 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 the private-public arbitrage, as it's known, where you're, you're buying a business on know two or three times multiples and the, your stock that is trading on the asx is trading on a 15 20 times multiple so you instantly get a lift um, is a well-trodden course for a lot of these roll-up companies and it does work to some extent um, but there are issues with it and uh, there are cultural issues with buying lots and lots of little businesses mums and dads and putting them under one banner etc 
it's not really for me. The market had a bit of a wobble back in the middle of August with this one uh, and then recovered. I think, you know, it, it's probably a slow and steady kind of story. But, you know, liquidity is an issue. It, it's I think if you want to play the healthcare sector, there's probably other stocks uh, that uh, I'd rather be right. in, especially in, in that sort of space. And I'm, I'm not a massive fan of the whole roll up thing. It's everybody's done it. Um, you know, it, it, it can work, especially at the beginning. But after a while, you get to a critical sort of mass and then it gets harder because you've taken all the easy, cheap centers yeah. and then you're then you're having to pay up a little bit. And people get wise, you know, your next door neighbor that's got his foot clinic or his, or his physio shop uh, gets wise to the fact that, uh, hey, my mates just sold his on five times earnings. That's what I need for mine. <laughs> So yeah. um, they do tend to get a little more expensive as you go down the road. So not for me. I'm sorry, Andrew. Okay. I can't, can't, I can't uh, endorse you on this one. Okay. All right. I think you'll be forgiven, uh, Andrew. Now let's go uh, to ETFs. Uh, Sol wants a view on uh, ETFs um, semiconductor ETF. Uh, Sol says, guys, just want to know your thoughts on ETF securities recently. Semiconductor one. I suspect the semiconductor industry will grow over the long term as the world relies more and more on AI and technology. Um, Andrew, have you run your eye over this one? What do you think? Sol's obviously a very discerning individual, not only looking at ETFs, but also uh, relating to <laughs> semiconductors as well. So well done to you, Sol. Um, no, look, I, I don't mind this one. We had a, a briefing on it last week. It's only recently listed, oh. and if I remember correctly, it was the uh, the most actively traded new ETF in recent memory. So there's wow. certainly plenty of people who are looking at this. Bearing in mind, Koshi, that, you know, we talk about core ETFs and thematic ETFs. So core, as the name suggests, you know, you buy an index, the ASX S&P 200 or the MISCI or, you know, whatever your index of choice is. This is not it. This is a thematic. You're taking a punt. You're taking a view that, uh, as you just said, AI, robotics, that's going to be the way of the future and there's going to be those computer chips and who manufactures those computer chips. It's these uh, companies that have foundries uh, and equipment manufacturers around that. So that's really what you're taking a view on. Um, the, the index that they're following has only recently been created, so there's no factors. Sorry, there's no index where you can look back on. You have to look at to backtesting. And over the, I'm just going back to my notes here, over the last five years, using that backtesting methodology, uh, the backtest index, for the want of a better term, is up about 30% per annum. So certainly it's had some pretty aggressive growth. But, I mean, that's past. What's really coming at us is those growth opportunities. And the expectations are is that that industry will continue to grow. Uh, there's a number of companies in there that, um, you know, TS, TCSM, Broadcom, Intel, and you've also got the big Netherlands company ASML, and they're the people that actually make the equipment for the semiconductor yeah. companies. Um, look, bottom line, I do like it, but uh, I, I tend to be just a little bit cautious with any new ETF just for a month or so, just like to let it settle. Right. Um, but as a mega trend, as a longer term um, sort of way of the future, for the want of a better term, it's pretty hard to go past semiconductors, but just common practice, just let everything settle for at least a month. So happy to look at it. Maybe at our next ETF special, Koshi, we can okay. throw it in. Um, 
But it ticks all the boxes on fees and true to label and all that sort of thing. Yeah, bearing in mind, though, with the fees, which my learned friend below me, it's like the Brady Bunch here, my learned friend below me uh, will quite rightly point out that um, ETF fees, uh, depending upon what type of ETF we're talking about, still can be a little expensive at 57 basis points. I mean, don't get me wrong, compared to a managed fund at 150 to 200 basis points, it's cheap as chips. But uh, 57 basis points is still probably up there a little bit. But what are you getting? You're getting exposure to 30 companies. Otherwise, you'd have to go and do it yourself and manage all that side of it. So for what you're paying, it's okay. But it's okay. just, it's a, it's a watch. Okay. All right. Henry? You see, I, I see what he did there. Cheapest chips. We're talking about semiconductor companies. And he didn't <laughs> even realize it. That's, that's the great thing about the ETF whisperer. So, um, I, I don't know whether this is cheap as chips. Um, I've I got to say, as Andrew rightly points out, if you want to get exposure to semiconductor companies, this is a really good way of doing it rather than trying to buy all the different components. I'm always a little wary about, um, you know, they created index, which is the benchmark that they track against, and then you can sort of back test it, etc. This is quite skewed to a lot of, um, well, some of the bigger companies like um, TSMC, which is around 10%, which is the uh, Taiwan Semiconductors, and the Dutch company, as Andrew says, which is the lithographic printers of uh, the circuit boards, which is, you know, you can't really create these semiconductors without it. The interesting thing I would say is that this is this has obviously got a massive future with, with uh, artificial intelligence. And I was listening to a guy on... Uh, a rival finance station, I won't say which one, uh, coming out of the UK. And it was, they were talking at uh, the Munich Motor Show with the, um, I think it was one of the, the chief guys at Ford. And he was saying that an, an internal combustion engine car has around 300 semiconductors in it. In an electric vehicle, it has around 3,000. So as we, as we green the planet, as we, all head over to more electric vehicles and it's coming you know it's coming big time in europe and the us but uh, slower here um th this is going to be a space that is going to take off we're currently mm -hmm. seeing you know clearly some uh, some chip supply issues and that's going to create a lot of fresh investment by companies uh, th this one i think will do well over a, a long period of time frame but as andrew says it's good to see it settle down a little bit there's not huge amounts of trade during the day here, 20,000 traded so far today. But um, you know, if, if you wanted to, um, if you want to get some exposure to uh, semiconductors, this is a good way to do it. Easy, cheap, covers all the bases. You don't have to think too hard. Uh, low management fees, and it's going to do what it says on the tin. If, if that's the theme that you like, it will do well. Okay. All right. Let it settle down first. Um, and now um, our next stock put up by our, our viewers, uh, um, uh, Henry, is corporate travel management. Uh, the travel companies had a pretty good day uh, yesterday and the day before as all the politicians talk about opening up borders and home quarantine and travelling overseas. Uh, what do you think of corporate travel? It's Inter Webjet <laughs> seemed to be the favourite ones in this area. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think corporate travel is the only one of the sort of the, the, the reopening travel plays that actually didn't raise any money 
during the uh, the COVID crash that we saw. Webjet and Flight Centre both raised money, and these are kind of the the the, the trio, I guess, of uh, reopening trade stocks. Corporate travel. Uh, I don't know. Uh, is corporate travel going to bounce back as much as leisure travel? I'm not sure. They're doing quite well in the US, obviously, as the US bounces back. They're doing quite well in the UK and Europe. That's a lot of their business now. It's not just an Australian travel company. This is a global corporate yeah. travel company. But I think, you know, we've all learned to live with Zoom. We've all learned that uh, you can uh, do a lot of business over Zoom. It doesn't replace uh, corporate travel, but you can can imagine how much money big companies have saved by not whizzing their executives across the planet for a 10-minute meeting and then four hours in the bar. It's, um, it's, it's a big, big saving for a lot of companies. And how much of that sticks yep. remains to be seen. I was watching actually Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett uh, talking on an interview the other day. And uh, Warren was saying that he thought that, uh, that Zoom was fantastic and it was brilliant and it would it, it will really influence corporate travel big time, whereas, whereas Munga was, uh, was not quite so keen on the whole Zoom experience. I think this is a hold for me. Let's, let's, let's go to the core of it. It's a hold. Uh, obviously, as we open up, we will see uh, a rise in corporate travel, but I'm still a bit dubious yeah. on the whole passport thing. I, you know, we didn't even get the census online thing right, that crash. <laughs> so um, I think my, my jury's out as far as, um, you know, I've been double vaxxed okay. and I've, I'm, I'm happy to show my thing to anybody that uh, wants to see my COVID vaccination certificate. And if that gets me on a plane, great, but it'd be nice to be able to get home as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Andrew, what do you think of, uh, of corporate travel? Maybe it's the way we do business is we'll still have to build relationships and, and talk to people, particularly in business. But, you know, whether it's the degree of travel, I know just in my little business, we have one of our um, uh, sales development guys, one of our sales guys based in France and has been for a year. His wife's French. They packed up um, and he is shooting the lights out. No one knows he's in France, no one seems to care because every everything's done electronically. Yeah, look, I, I don't think it's as much of an issue. I, I agree with you. If you can meet somebody at least once face to face, you know, shake the hand or touch yep. the elbow, or we're doing these days. But uh, <laughs> after that, this type of thing's fine. I, yep. yeah, I, I certainly, I, I agree spot on with Henry. I, I can't see that in the new world that executives are going to be jetting all over the place for 14 hours to sit somewhere for 24 hours to then come back home. That's just not going to happen at all. Never mind the, the whole ESG thing around carbon and all that sort of stuff. So I, uh, I think from a business premise point of view, that's certainly a lot of the travel companies in their um, business segment. They're going to have to think about that. If we have a, if we have a look at CTD, uh, they're actually not badly positioned because around 80% of their revenue at the moment is coming from the US and also from yeah. Europe. As they recently point out that's the areas whereby their economies are reopening and vaccine rollouts going pretty well in particular in Europe. So that's certainly a positive for them. Uh, they've got pretty close to nil debt and uh, holding about 100 million in the piggy bank. So as Henry said, they certainly weren't scathed compared to say flight center. Trading though pretty close to consensus, so to me this is a hold. 
Okay. All right, let's just recap the first uh, five stocks, including Aussie Broadband, our stock of the day. Uh, Well-run business, but wait for it to settle back down more towards that $4 issue price on the raise that they've done at the moment. So no at this stage from both Henry and Andrew. Instatech Pivot a hold from both. Renogen a hold, but on their watch list. Interesting business. Uh, healthier, yes, from Andrew, no, from Henry. Uh, the new semiconductor um, ETF um, only recently listed. So both the guys are saying, hey, yes, they like it, but they're just going to wait for it to, to settle down a bit because it's a bit too early. So, But keep it on your watch list and corporate travel is a hold. Um, here on the call, uh, we've been following our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner NabTrade. Any stock that gets unanimous approval from our panel, expert panel, goes into the portfolio. And uh, let's see how it's been performing for the week, up a quarter of a percent for the month, up just over 3% since the 1st of July this financial year, up 5.5%. And since inception on the 1st of July last year, up 42.5%. Some of the stocks recently added, uh, included Cluey, PRW Holdings, Resimac, Terra Royalties and PointsBet and some of the stocks that have been removed by the panel. Uh, Rio Tinto, Ray's, Energy One and Appen. You can check out all the stocks in the calls portfolio. Head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Um, let's get into uh, the second half of the call. And uh, Michael wants a view, Andrew, on Infratil. He said, I was hoping you could cover it with investments in health and new energy, wind farms and solar. Infratil, uh, New Zealand-based, isn't it? And has been described to me as sort of a, uh, uh, a, a private equity infrastructure fund, if you like, <laughs> is how, how they play it. One that I used to follow pretty closely when I worked at Macquarie and it sort of dropped off the radar and I'm a bit sad that it did drop off my radar because it's, if you look at the chart, which we'll probably see in a second, it's been an absolute ripper. So um, it helped in part by Australian Super lobbying a takeover bid there back in December last year. But if anything, that's vindication of their model. You know, these super uh, companies are looking for companies that have long-term investments, steady, predictable cash flows to help fund their future pension obligations. And Infratil ticks that box. As you said, they're involved in uh, infrastructure, telecommunications. They've recently moved into healthcare as well, both in Australia and also in New Zealand. And obviously that Australian exposure is hurting them a little bit at the moment relative to lockdowns. But uh, it's, it's a good business, Koshi. You know, it's delivered 11 to 15% per annum returns uh, since it's been listed. The debt's not too bad. I mean, they just went and sold that tilt uh, and they just uh, trousered $1.2 billion. So they basically have no bank debt anymore. They've just got some bonds there, but normally they're running at about 30% debt. So it's certainly not highly levered. Um, I, I like it. I, I think it's a buy. Great. Um, Henry, what do you think of Infratil? <laughs> I'm not going to be that contentious this one. It's a manager of assets from data centres to Vodafone in New Zealand to the Wellington Airport. It has moved into healthcare, as Andrew rightly points out, and it's got the solar and some of the new renewable style assets. 
I guess in some ways it's kind of like um, a Macquarie infrastructure fund manager to some extent. Um, it does a pretty good job. It did have that bid and it did sell that uh, tilt renewables, uh, taking a lot of money off the table. I guess the question is what it's going to do with that money. Uh, obviously, it pays down debt first off, but there might be something in it for shareholders. It's kind of been a flat liney since the bid uh, came out and uh, the uh, tilt renewables thing got resolved. It's kind of been just sort of milling about uh, around sort of seven bucks to seven twenty. I suspect that's what's going to continue to to play out uh, until we wait to see what the next leg of growth is. But it's certainly not a bad stock, but uh, it's not the most exciting for me. An interesting one that I saw uh, yesterday was a stock called Global Data Centers, GDC, uh, which is uh, got data centers from uh, Australia, South America, uh, and various other places, Guam. It's, um, oh. It just had its biggest shareholder and the guys that basically started up 360 capital tgp the stock code there uh, sold out their 33 percent stake in the company which is certainly being seen as a positive it's weird isn't it some founders sell two or three percent of a company and it gets trashed and the, the founder of a massive company sells out 33 percent of it and uh, the stock price actually goes up uh, yeah. so i i it's riddle me that one batman <laughs> but um it's certainly that that is a good business and that gives you good exposure to data centers. I think, you know, it's hard to get exposure to renewables and the solar and, and that sort of thing. Uh, Infotril could be a, a good way to play it, but it's not the most exciting bids being uh, rare. But um, it's, it's definitely a hold. I wouldn't go for the buy right. just at the moment. But uh, maybe have a look in, at GDC. <coughs> Excuse me. You're still in uh, impressed with global data centers, though. Um, I was. I must admit, I was surprised that it didn't have a little bit of indigestion after the 33% sell-off. Um, they're still going to be managing the uh, the data centres, and so mm. they're still going to be involved in it 360. But uh, you know, these these guys have got yeah. big ambitions, and uh, it's certainly one that appeals to me. I have to say. Right. And wh whenever we look at uh, you know investing in data centres, we always go to Next DC or or Megaport or even Macquarie <laughs> Telecom. But um, GDC does look as if it's got some good upside potential. Okay. Uh, it's it's um, got money and it's got ambition. Okay. Already in the Colts portfolio, so that's a good wrap for that. Oh. Excellent. Um, there you go. Now, I love this next question from Lyle. Uh, he, he, wa he wants a view on Fortescue, and he's really asked a terrific question, saying, um, looking at a play to grab a quality stock while it's on a negative trend. I'm well aware the knife is falling. Um, looks like it may hit sub $18 soon. I'm curious what the experts will look for as a signal that it's time to buy and get in. Also, does the green play with Twiggy uh, wants to run change the narrative for this one? Uh, good question, Henry, is it? Yeah, it is a good question. Uh, Fortescue has been to some extent, a victim of its own success. It has paid out $11 billion <laughs> in dividends I know. this year. $11 billion. And what that was it? Two, two and a half to Andrew Forrest. Two and a half bill to him alone. I think it's more, I, I think it's more than that, Koshi. I think he's even richer than you are. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, th this is extraordinary. People go, well, you know, the, the chart looks terrible. You know why the chart looks terrible? Because they've gone ex-dividend um, an awful lot. And, you know, they've paid out, you know, 
it was a huge, huge dividend, $11 billion. So they're actually, if you look at it in those terms, they paid out 20% in dividends this year. Um, so the stock's still doing pretty well. Um, and it's on a yield. If they were to continue that yield for next year, which they won't, because obviously the iron ore price has fallen from 220 to 135 US, then it would be on a 20% yield. Now, even if you halve the dividend, even if you halve the dividend because of the fall in the iron ore price, it's on a 10% fully frank dividend. Now, yeah. these guys, the share price is a victim of its own success. You know, it, it went nuts because the iron ore price was going nuts. It's made an absolute truckload of money and then it's paid out that money to shareholders. And guess what? The share price drops because of that. Um, admittedly, you know, some of that share price fall has been the iron ore price as well. Clearly, uh, from 26 bucks, it got a little bit over the top. It probably should have been 22 bucks. But, uh, you know, the, the force was strong and people were going for even more. And we always go for more in terms of dividends. I, I, you know, Fortescue has not put a step wrong in its execution. It is now, I think they're investing a billion dollars of their profits. So only a, that's, that's you know, 10% of the amount they paid in their dividends, it's it's nothing, isn't it? Um, yeah. So they're investing a billion dollars in in sort of future uh, proofing the company and making it clean and green, which for a mining company that trucks dirt to a port is not an easy thing to do. Of course, mm. you can make the, the trucks electric and you can make the trains electric and you can make them powered by solar, etc. But certainly Twiggy is showing some leadership, I think, on environmental issues. And I think he should be congratulated on that. This is, a, this is a quality stock generating just huge, vast piles of cash, which it pays to shareholders. 80% of its profits is paying out to shareholders. Can yep. we just do that number again? $11 billion of dividends. <laughs> yep. So That is a it, lot of money. 18 bucks, drop a cent below. Sub 18, I, uh, should Libby take advantage and buy it? I think so, yep. yes. Andrew? Well, welcome to Contentious Corner. Um, yeah, <laughs> look, um, there are lots of reasons. I didn't like reasons. Sarah. <laughs> uh, there's lots of reasons to think about buying this. Lots. Um, average cost of production for iron ore, $14.00. And it's even on spot prices today, it's what, 135? Yep. I mean, most businesses would kill for that type of margin. I mean, that's just extraordinary. Um, trading on a P of 20, oh, sorry, trading, trading on a P of eight times FY23 earnings. So not sort of the nosebleed expected earnings from last year, but maybe some semblance of normality due to the Chinese wanting to cut carbon emissions, so therefore scaling back steel production. FY23 earnings, eight times earnings. What's the market at the moment, Henry? 16. And certainly the uh, the peers are 11 times. So you're absolutely getting it at a, uh, a bargain basement price. Certainly that pivot or change towards the the, uh, the greenification side, that focus on hydrogen, um, that's great as well. Consensus is at 20 bucks, so you're buying it at 18 and everyone in the room says, hey, we think it's worth 20. But the thing that worries me is that a lot of that, you know, the, the, the people in the room, the 12 who follow it saying it's worth 20, have got iron ore um, price forecasts well north of where the price is at the moment. And if we continue to see pressure 
from the Chinese relating to more imports from Brazil or becoming more reliant on themselves, then that iron ore price is going to come under future pressure. I think, Koshi, in the budget, isn't iron ore at $55 a tonne? Isn't that where Treasury have it at? So there's a big between 55 and 135. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've done that for years as Treasury yeah. slush, slush fund, uh, basically to, to make them look good. That if uh, other parts, their figures go pear-shaped, they go, oh, yeah, you know, we've, we've got the iron ore tax coming in here. I, I guess what I'm saying is that really it's predicated on your view of iron ore. There's lots to like about this business, lots to like about the dividends, lots to like about the cash flow. But with that iron ore price and that chart looking dreadful, ergo, so does the Forteski price as well. So it's a hold for me. It will become right. a buy. It becomes a buy when um, iron ore turns back up again. Okay. All right. Um, uh, Josh wants a view where uh, Andrew on Lumos Diagnostic Holdings. Uh, Josh says, saw the interview with the executive chairman on Ausbiz recently. I've been looking for a company that supplies rapid antigen testing, as I think this will be the new quick COVID test adopted in Australia, as it is overseas. Lumos uh, only listed July, didn't I? Um, and it's into um, diagnos- diagnostic test solutions. I get a little tickle up the nose every morning before sunrise at seven. So this rapid antigen stuff is really getting... <sighs> I'm not an influencer. Uh, thank you, Henry. I knew where your mind was going then. A tickle up the nose with the swab for my rapid antigen test. Uh, right. Just to clear things up. <laughs> Didn't buy my dinner plates at Coles either. Um, Andrew, what, what, do you, what do you think of Lumos? Uh, sorry, was that to Henry or to me? Uh, Andrew, you? Sorry, I'm paying attention. Uh, look, I, I don't want it. Um, certainly, I was just, sorry, I was just watching the banter. It was like a game of tennis, just watching you two. Um, it was, um, as you said, just recently floated. It had an, a lot of impressive small cap managers or, you know, people who've got experience in incubating companies. So you had your Soul Pats, Australian Unity, which has become very big in sort of that private equity healthcare space. And they're pretty conservative guys and girls there. Perennial, which have had some great success with their small cap funds. And then you've also had Elliston on the pre-IPO books. So that, you know, is pretty strong pedigree to begin with. Um, You've still um, got that exposure to that, what's the product called? Fedri Dix, um, which is sort of the uh, bacterial and viral testing. But then, you know, the real thing for them at the moment is that codex, that antigen, as you just said, what you have to go through every morning. In particular, though, a lot of their revenue at the moment is only coming from Europe. Yes. And for 2022, coming online for both Canada, the US, and also for Australia. So, it, look, it hasn't set the world on fire since it's listed. You know, it's listed at $1.25, it's $1.16. You are taking a punt on them being able to get FDA approvals and being able to execute. Probably the only one negative is that the company that actually founded it, um, Planet Innovation, back in 2015, they still hold 26% of the company. So I didn't do a deep dive in the PDS and the prospectus, but undoubtedly there's some sort of handcuffs that keep them there for a year or two years. And as Henry was saying before, you've got companies that are selling small parcels. Uh, that sort of scares the market a little bit. It's a hold pending how they go with their execution offshore. 
Okay. All right. Uh, as you say, headquartered in Melbourne, uh, manufacturing in, in California and Florida. Uh, Henry, what do you think of Lumos? Um, well, once again, Koshi, I mean, this is another surprise that's not a stock that I've looked at, so it's good to have a look at it. Um, not for me just yet, but it does. it is interesting. I thought that the comment that I picked up from the presentation, which I thought was interesting, especially in a year which the stock floated uh, as an IPO, they said it was about... FY20 was about integration and transformation. Um, and FY21 is strategic action and growth. Now, I'm never a big fan of the whole transformation and integration thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it hasn't really done an awful lot since it's floated. I'd like to see a little bit of evidence. Uh, I've got to say that this one um, can do what it says it can do. So right. I think I'd just be holding on the sideline for the time being. Clearly, those that uh, the diagnostic test for COVID could be a big kicker. It may be something that we do have to get used to with that tickle up the nose in, in the mornings. Um, but um, <laughs> but uh, and I, I know that, you know, speaking to my, my brother in the UK, they have to go through lots and lots of tests yeah. to get on an aeroplane, an even to go and see my mum in the home mm -hmm. where she is. You know, he has to go through various tests, sit in the car, uh, while they wait for the results for half an hour and then can only get out if that's a negative. So it, it is going to be part of our lives, whether yep. Lumos is the one that is the dominant part of that is remains to be seen. So for me, I think it's sidelines. I'd like to see it settle okay. down. There are some good people in there, but uh, yeah, just see it settle down for the time being. Okay. Uh, Sean wants a view, Henry, on DeGray Mining and says, in fact, Sean says, the next time you've got the opportunity... I'd appreciate Henry's view on DeGray. This is one of your favourites, I think. You've mentioned it a few times. Uh, Sean has a, a small bottom draw holding. Wonder if I should be adding to it on any weakness in the price. Well, uh, Sean, you've certainly had lots of chances to add to it on weakness in the price. It's done nothing but have a weakness in the price. So <laughs> I've clearly, clearly stuffed this one up big time. Um, it doesn't help, of course, with the gold price bouncing about yep. uh, in, in what looks like big numbers some nights. Uh, you know, we saw last night Bitcoin collapsed on the back of the El Salvadorian uh, kickoff to a uh, legitimized currency and gold took a bit of a tumble. So that's not helping them. Um, they ran pretty hard. They've come back down to earth with a bit of a bang. And there's a number of brokers that are out there that are pretty positive on this Hemi discovery. They've got 10 million ounces not to be sneezed at. Uh, but, you know, this, this is a, an explorer. It will be driven by the bit. We did see a pop-up recently when we did get some good results, but that's sort of been overwhelmed by the gold price. I still like this one, but you know the, these stocks, these companies take a long time to get uh, to where they're going in, in mining terms. It's, it's not an overnight thing. You don't drill, get yeah. the results, and then start digging it up and making cash. It takes you know, five years, 10 years sometimes mm. to get a mine from from pegging to uh, to production. So it's probably for the patient, but the, the, certainly the Hemi resource is shaping up as a pretty good one. There's a couple of brokers that have got $175, uh, you know, $1.75 to price targets on this one. It's trading at around $1.10. It perks up every now and then. It's quite volatile. Um, I'm going to stick with it because I'm stubborn mm, and I still okay. like the story. But with gold stocks, you do have to take advantage of strength. The same with all resource stocks. You have to take advantage of strength and sell into it. As a wise old trader once said to me, you can always sell stuff, you can't always buy it. <laughs> so you're buying it at, at a dollar? 
Um, yes, I, I, okay. I've got to say, I, I think at this level, it, it's pretty much um, in bargain basement territory. Okay, Andrew? Continuing the theme of being completely on the other side of the ledger with Henry to hold. <laughs> um, <laughs> mix it up, you know. Uh, and look, and uh, again, it's more just the price action that's concerning me. Don't disagree with any of the fundamentals there for a moment. Um, probably the other positive is that we are coming into gold season in India. So between September and November, you tend to see fairly significant buying of gold. Uh, but this year, they've changed their certification uh, around gold, what they call hallmarking. And normally it would sort of take two or three hours. It's now taking two or three days. So that's a potential bottleneck. But otherwise, uh, big impetus for gold coming into the end of the calendar year. So that should support gold, therefore degrade, but see that price turning up, it's a hold. Okay. Just quickly, uh, Bailey wants a view on Lark Distilling, the um, uh, the uh, boutique wine distilling business. Uh, only recently listed as well, Andrew. What do you think of Lark? Yeah, you had me at gin. Um, <laughs> so it's, not, it's not only gin, it's actually whiskey is its predominant uh, yep. vice. But uh, look, I, I think it's a hold. It does have the right management, ex Fosters and Treasury Wine there, but a PE of 59 relative to 40% per share earnings growth. It's probably just a bit high at the moment, but uh, one that I'm watching, not one that I was aware of before. Yeah, uh, Henry? Uh, great product, multi award winning, one of the best whiskies in the world, one of the best scotches in the world um, from Tasmania. It's a fantastic product run a bit hard for my liking at these kind of prices like to see it settle back toward, towards four bucks it's pretty thin they've got a great big whiskey bank they're moving into a premium if it's even more premium than their premium brands in terms of gifting uh, and some of the things they're putting together that you can send to your friends and your loved ones uh, that this is a quality operation quality management with a great great product that the world wants it's just a bit ritzy for me at the moment. Prefer to see it around four bucks, but uh, at these kind of prices for long term, I think it's a hold. Whiskey under maturation. Um, yeah, the, the whiskey bank. Yeah, it's amazing the little business, bank. isn't it? Or well, big business now. It's, it's yeah. Henry Jennings from Marcus today. Great to see you, mate. Thank you for your time today. Always appreciated. Andrew Willem from DP Wealth Advisory, likewise. Good you, fellas. Thanks, Goshi. Enjoy the rest of the week. Uh, let's recap the uh, the final five stocks. Infratil, a hold from Henry, a yes from Andrew. Uh, Henry prefers uh, global data centres if if you want an alternative in that um, that data centre space. Uh, Fortescue, a yes from Henry, a hold from Andrew. Uh, Loomis Diagnostics, uh, a hold from both. De Grey, a yes from uh, Henry, a hold from Andrew, and Lark, a no because it's too expensive at these levels, but a really good business with good management uh, from Henry and a hold from Andrew. Uh, that's our show for today. Great to have your company. If uh, you have any stocks you want us to take a look at, shoot them in an email to us, thecall at osbiz.com.au or through Twitter using the at osbiztv handle. If you want to see all the stocks in the calls portfolio, osbiz.co uh, forward slash portfolio. Mm -hmm.